Hello and welcome. It's our bonus Q&A episode for Books of the Year. Steve Kavanagh is here. Legendary crime uh, writer. I would say crime fighter. That would have made you crime like Batman. Like Batman. Yeah. Bam, bam, bam. Uh, so uh, on our previous episode, uh, we talked about uh, his brand new uh, novel. So if you haven't heard that, then uh, then go back and listen and then come back uh, to this one. I'm not telling you what to do. You can do things out of sequence. You could listen to yeah. this as a primer uh, for his new book. So, Steve, what is the last book that you really really underlined enjoyed reading so i i don't want a casual tossed off recommendation i want a from the heart please okay um there's a lot of books that i, I hugely enjoy i think the last one that probably fits that criteria that i finished is shyla pena's everyone is lying which is um her one of her recent uh books i think it's, it's not too long out um shari is a brilliant canadian thriller writer and in this book uh, there's a man called William who is a you know it's a family man, but he is having an affair, and his that affair is finished by the other party, much to his chagrin, and uh, he's a doctor. He goes back home early, and his daughter is in the house, and she shouldn't be home either. And there's a bit of a confrontation. He leaves the house, and then he finds out later on the daughter hasn't returned to the house. She didn't come home from school, uh, and she is missing. But he was the last person to see her alive and he doesn't want to tell the police or his wife that he was having an affair and he'd seen her and had this confrontation. And it is such a brilliant premise and it makes you feel uncomfortable and you're kind of shouting at the book almost <laughs> in the opening pages. Uh, Shari is uh, the one of the modern masters of the psychological thriller. So if there's any... Of your listeners out there who like Lisa Jewell, who's also brilliant, Shia Pena is a perfect choice. And that's Everyone is Lying. Everyone is Lying. Good good title for a book where you're like, all right, straight away we I think know. it's Everyone yeah. Here is Lying. That would okay. be it, yeah. Uh -huh. Brilliant. Um, I, I get a feeling I might already know the answer to this one, given the, uh, the, the previous podcast, but is there an author that you will always read, no matter what they're publishing, no matter what they're writing about, you are picking up that book? Well, there's quite a few. Mm. There's really is quite a few. Um, you know, James E. Burke, um, who we discussed the last time, uh, John Connolly. Um, I read everything that John Connolly writes, and he does. He writes the Charlie Parker crime series, but he also will go off and will will write. He wrote a, a biography of um, Stan Laurel called He, which was great. Um, and he, he's a brilliant writer. Uh, there is a fantastic American thriller writer called Robert Crace. Uh, I've seen you tweet. About this guy, I was going to ask you about him. Robert Crace is probably already one of your favourite writers, and you don't even know it yet. There you go. That's what you want on the cover. <laughs> so, because um, before he started writing his novels, he wrote for TV. So, and his credit list is just unbelievable. So, he wrote for Miami Vice, Hill Street Blues, Cagney and Lacey. Wow. He is just an incredible writer, and he writes the uh, Elvis. Cole and Joe Pike thrillers set in Los Angeles. He's a contemporary of Harlan Coben and Michael Connolly and those guys. And uh, he is a brilliant, brilliant writer. Actually, I, was, I recently was interviewed um, by a, a journalist and he asked me for a recommendation. And I said, oh, read Robert Crace, uh, start with L.A. Requiem. And he uh, emailed me a couple of days later and said, I read it in two sittings. I've now <laughs> bought the entire series. So um, Robert Crace, C-R-A-I-S, is a huge recommendation. For See, the, 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 this is great because it's a very kind of, we're very 
the whole point of this podcast is to introduce people uh, to great books. And I can sense people even now yeah, yeah, writing yeah. this down or yes. Googling it, thinking I'm, I've got a holiday coming up or I'm halfway through a holiday or I've only got three days left. I've got to run out of things. To... There you go. And that's so Robert Cray's L.A. Requiem. And also everyone here is lying. I think I'm going to get them before I go away. I've just thought that exact same thought. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Amazing. Now, it may well be that you've already answered this question as well. Uh, because the question is, have you ever made a literary pilgrimage? And I know you you have mentioned James Lee Burke. Yes. But are there are there any other cases where you've been so much a fan of a book or an author that you have altered your itinerary to make sure that you've gone to that place? Um, I think I, I, when I was younger, I did the, the James Joyce tour in Dublin. Uh, I lived in Dublin for a while. So um, that's the Ulysses walking tour. And there are beautiful little brass plaques all around Dublin city and great homages to Joyce and there's a statue and all of them. So I've, I've done that, even though Ulysses isn't one of my favourite books. And I sort of thought it might help me understand it a bit more <laughs> if I went and had a look at the place. But uh, it didn't and it remains impenetrable to me. But I'm still glad I did the walk and, and learned more about him and the city. Because... I was saying, you know, as we're all fans of Michael Connolly here, most of the places that his books go to, I don't want to, vi- no, I don't no, particularly no, want to visit. No one, Apart yeah. from the home that Harry Bosch has got in the hills, yeah. very similar to the home that the Lincoln lawyer has got in the hills yeah. as well. That's right. Those places look great. They do look great. Well, you know the, the story about the real home of the Lincoln lawyer? Explain more. Okay. I so I do. Um, the origin of, of that character from Michael Connolly was um, he was at a basketball game, or not a bas- baseball game, at LA Dodgers. And uh, he was sitting next to a guy um, in a shirt and tie, and uh, they got talking. And the guy said, uh, "What do you do?" And Michael says, "Well, I'm a writer. What do you do?" And the guy says, "Well, I'm a I'm a lawyer." And Michael says, "Well, I used to cover the courts. Where's your office based?" And the guy says, "Well, I don't have an office. I work from my car. I can cover every courthouse in Los Angeles." And Michael went, "Wow!" And the guy obviously thought maybe Michael wasn't very impressed by this. This guy doesn't have an office. But the guy says, well, actually, um, you know, I do very well covering that. You know, I have, a, I have a lovely house in Malibu. Matthew McConaughey's my next door neighbor. Wow. Okay. Now, it, the Lincoln lawyer, that the real Lincoln lawyer guy and Matthew McConaughey had never met. But, you know, a couple of years later, Michael wrote that novel and uh, invited the guy because he became a consultant and a friend of Michael's. And the real Lincoln lawyer character and Matthew McConaughey, who played him in the movie, met for the first time at the premiere. Wow. That's fantastic. I think the news, I think the TV adaptation is better than the movie, actually. So they've got a, a, our top production team will just look up who the name of the actor is, please. Thank you very much. In the Lincoln Lawyer, which is uh, which is running at the moment, because I think he, I mean Matthew McConaughey is is fantastic, but this other yeah. guy is uh, is even better. So He's that's great. A, so that's your literary pilgrimage. Right? It is a little odd that the first time you meet your neighbour is when you're at the premiere of yeah, the film. That's Los Angeles, that's based on your life. <laughs> yes. Oh, hello. Oh, it's you. Yeah. Um, if you if you hadn't uh, studied law uh, or become this uh, successful novelist, what is the career that you would have pursued instead? Oh God, um, I, I honestly don't know. Um, I think maybe. I grew up in Belfast during the Troubles, 
and um, I had a, was a real working class household and my family were just always more concerned about me being safe and well uh, uh, rather than, than any great career aspirations. So as long as I sort of was alive and working, I could have been followed my dad and been a plumber or a blacksmith as he was, he was very earlier on. So um, I could have been anything. I would have no real career longings. Uh, nor re any real ability or transferable skills, I wouldn't have thought, other than writing or, or being a lawyer, which is really telling other people's stories. So there, were, there wasn't a point where you were much younger going, you know, the, the sort of standard astronaut, firefighter, footballer, no, nothing well, like that? When I was a wee lad, I wanted to be a lollipop man. <laughs> Because I thought they had great power outside the school. <laughs> <laughs> they had the big lollipop with a coat and they could through the stop traffic. And I thought, wow, that's awesome. It was almost like Gandalf standing on the bridge. You shall not pass. That's not a bad idea for a re returning, returning character, isn't it? Really? Yeah, the lollipop, lollipop man. man who actually has powers. <laughs> Perhaps. Uh, Manuel Garcia Rulfo is the guy who's the actor who plays the Lincoln lawyer in the TV adaptation. And I think he's even better than Matthew McConaughey. Of course. Um, so this is where you need some headphones okay. uh, on, Steve, because uh, we like to surprise guests with a question from a fellow author oh. uh, and fan. So here is fellow crime writer uh, Luca Vesti. Hello, Simon. Hello, Matt. And all right, Steve. How you doing? Luca Vesti here. Big fan, as you know. Uh, and what I'm wondering is, if you could go back and give yourself one piece of advice before you started writing, what would it be? Cheers. Thank you, Luca. Wow. That's always nice to hear from Luca. Um, he's a brilliant writer. Uh, oh, well, that's a really good question. I think there's something I realized later on in my career that which would, would have been really helpful to have earlier on. Um, again, I, as I say, I like to learn from other writers. Um, writer I admired from a very young age was John Grisham. And uh, the way John Grisham chooses what books to write, he asks himself two questions. One, would this idea be a, a really good story for a book? Would it kind of sustain a novel? And the second question is, would a lot of people want to read that story? And unless the answer to both questions is yes, he doesn't write the book. And I think uh, when you're starting out, you're just trying to learn how to write a novel. And you're not really concerned too much with whether lots of other people will like that same thing. But as a commercial thriller writer, I'm thinking it's probably a good idea <laughs> to have thought of that before you embark on a book. So, um, yes, if I could have told myself that and learned that earlier, I, things would have been better. So the book that uh, you're here to talk about, um, which we discussed in the previous episode, obviously um, owes uh, a lot to uh, Strangers on the Train. So, so the next question is inspired by that. Is it Highsmith or Hitchcock? Which one do you go for? Ooh, that's interesting. Um, but, you know, both great artists, both very troubled individuals, I would say. Um, probably Hitchcock, because I am a, a, a massive a movie buff. And uh, as much as I admire his, his, his technique with the camera and cinema and everything, he was also a, a marketing genius. Uh, with, with Psycho, he changed the way people went to the cinema. Um, so as, as, as I understand it, which could be proven wrong, you know, given the, the cinephiles in this room, uh, as I understand it, people in America used to go to the cinema, they would buy a ticket and they would go into the movies and the, the movie would be halfway through 
and they would sit there and watch the, the latter half of the film, watch the next reel, and then... That was well, me. The, my the first show. film was Mary Poppins. That's exactly what happened. Yeah. We arrived halfway through, we watched the second half, and then stayed and watched the first half. Well, the first half, yeah, because you didn't go for the story. You went to see Mary Poppins, yeah. or you went to see Gene Kelly dancing, or Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers. So with, with Psycho, uh, he made the cinema chain's promise not to let people in after the film had started showing, which caused lines to develop because people couldn't get in and the lines would go around the block and sometimes break into the next block. And as I understand it, that's where we get the phrase blockbuster from. Ah. Uh, what is the best lesson that you've learned from your writing, your nine novels? So we, we were touching on advice earlier when Luca Vesti uh, dropped in, but based on what you have learned mm -hmm. with your nine novels, what do you, I guess, what do you do now that you didn't do before? Ah, well, um, I don't plan any of my novels out. I have a very basic idea and, uh, I'll do like, you know, I spend a day sketching. I very, very roughly who the characters might be. You and spend I go from a there. day out. I'm, I'm going off you very fast. <laughs> just, just the one day. Just yeah. one day. Okay. Uh, and then I, I start writing and I discover the characters as I write. But um, I, I, I made a massive mistake um, with, a no I wrote a novel called 13, uh, which I, I mentioned in the previous podcast. Uh, now, I wrote that book in six weeks. Well, but, that's, that's not but, humanly possible. But there was a, I got three weeks, I got about, you know, sort of about, uh, say, almost two quarters way through, almost halfway through. And there's a bit, there's a scene where a serial killer has taken over someone's identity and he's in their apartment. And there's a knock on the door and he opens the door and a box is delivered for the, you know, the person who, whose identity he has assumed. And I didn't know what was in the box. And I spent three months, you know, and I, I don't have hair, but if I had hair, I would tear it out because I, I, and I stopped writing because I didn't know what was in the box. And that really, really uh, stumped me. And I wasted all that time. And then I figured I will, I'll, I'll put this in, I'll figure it out later on. And uh, I wrote the rest of the novel in another three weeks. And uh, when I sent the book in, my editor said, this whole subplot about this box, we don't need that. We can take that out. And I was crushed. <laughs> 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 so I, uh, my, my lesson is if I get really stuck, uh, I go back now to the start of the book and I, I go over that and rewrite and uh, edit a little bit. And if there's something really blocking me, I will just take that out of the book or ignore it until I finish the whole thing. Okay, so the key thing there is to, it sounds to me like, I mean, I've heard other people say, finish. Finish. Finish, then go back and there's lots of stuff yeah. to clear up and yeah. sort out and clear out and maybe chop and all that kind of stuff. But so many people that we talk, they, they go back and they rewrite and they get a fantastic first two chapters, but they haven't finished. Yes. You have to finish. You have to finish. That's brilliant, brilliant advice. Do you remember, Steve, the first? Uh, it says here the first book you ever wrote, which I, I, I think let's 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 say the first story you ever wrote, because I'm I'm intrigued as to as to Mini Steve uh, coming up with uh, the first story he ever wrote. Oh, um, I didn't really write stories. You know, in, in school you're asked to do something, but I can't remember any of that. Uh, I do remember when um, uh, I, I started writing in in, in 2012, 2011, 
Uh, my mum, who is the only person who ever encouraged me to write, and she gave me my love of reading. She gave me a copy of Senate Salams when I was about 12 or so, and I loved it. Uh, uh, and it's that's quite early to be reading Salams. Wow. It, well, it is, but I, I grew up in Belfast. It was like, <laughs> it was light <laughs> relief. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I, 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 that gave me my love of crime fiction, and uh, she passed away quite suddenly, and I, I wanted to write a book that she would like. So that's why I, I started writing my first book. But um, uh, before I started the book, I, I wrote out a scene, like an action scene, um, just to see if I could get the rhythm and, and phrasing and stuff right. And I showed it to my wife, Tracy, and uh, thinking I'm thinking of writing, and would you have a read of this? It was only a page. Uh, and she read it, and she said, that's absolutely terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, oh, okay, uh, big lesson learned here. Finish something and work <laughs> on it before you show it to my wife. But it also said that, you know, she would always be honest with me. And she, you know, she's my first reader and gives me fantastic feedback. It sometimes makes for a difficult evening dinner conversation, but um, I'm very lucky to have her and I have an honest reader there. So, yeah, that, that was the first thing I wrote. It was like a, an action scene in a bar. Um, that was probably the first fiction I wrote. Before that, I wrote screenplays. Um, I wrote a couple of screenplays when I was like 18 or 19. Managed to get an agent, but never got anything sold and stopped writing. Different discipline? Very different. You have very different. You have to write incredibly visually and, um, yeah, much harder. None of that point of view character thinking incredible thoughts. No. Can't do any of that. Can't do any of that. Although you can sometimes, you say that sometimes you can. Um, there's a fantastic screenwriter called Tony Gilroy who wrote an amazing movie called um, Michael Clayton. And oh. if you read the script for that, there, there's a scene in the opening of the movie where George Clooney, who's Michael Clayton, is uh, staring into a field of horses. And in the screenplay, it tells you exactly what he's thinking. And you can kind of see that in George Clooney's face. Um, it really informed that actor. So, you know, there are there are rules for screenwriting, yeah. but there, there's also brilliant geniuses who break those rules and do something incredible. What a great movie that is. That it's an amazing film. Anywhere near the love it should have got. That's yeah. such a great movie. Also, Killian Murphy in, in Oppenheimer, he's one of those actors who can show you all those things in his face. Yeah. Lots of his face on an IMAX screen, <laughs> and you can see so many thoughts going on. Uh, incredible guy. Wow. Uh, do you work best to a deadline? Uh, yes, I do need a deadline. Um, uh, I need a, a target to hit. I don't always hit my target, but I, I have something to aim for, um, and that really encourages me. I, I think a book takes as long to write as it takes to write. Some writers write a book every couple of years, and that's fine. It's however long it takes them. I'm really trying to do a book a year, and uh, so far I've met that. So if I have an absolute deadline that I have to hit, it, it really helps the creative juices going. You know, when you have some kind of a crisis or a target, that really helps. And that may well be a deadline, or it may be a, you know, a worrying letter from uh, Her Majesty's Revenue. <laughs> <laughs> Does it help to have music on when you're writing? And if so, what would you be, what would you be listening to while you're writing? Yeah, I do. I do. Um, I have a playlist on uh, on Spotify that I listen to, and the start. It, it depends what book I'm writing. So for for this book, Kill for Me, Kill for You, there was some of the Psycho soundtrack on that, which is actually quite hard to listen to. Mm, it's like yeah. being beaten over the head. Uh, it was Bernard Herrmann was the composer. Uh, sometimes I'll have Hans Zimmer. Um, but if I'm writing an Eddie Flynn book, the first song I listen to is a song by the Black Keys called "The Flame." And that's kind of Eddie's theme tune for me. It's it's a lovely melancholy guitar riff, 
uh, and it's there. There are some brilliant little runs in it, which are uh, kind of an indomitable spirit almost in those runs. It's a beautiful piece of music, and to me, that's kind of uh, that's kind of Eddie's theme, and that puts me in his head when I start writing. Uh, finally, how do you order your books on your shelves at home? If we were to walk around your bookshelves, would we see them stuff higgledy piggledy, or are that you file by color or? No, no, it's mostly alphabetical. Uh, I think it's nearly all alphabetical, but I have so many books in my house now. Uh, so I have shelves in my office at home, which are all alphabetical. But then I have piles of books, you know, all over my office and my kitchen and every room in the house. And they're in no particular order at all. So um, it's not a very efficient filing system. I don't understand the color thing. My wife has, has our cookbooks by color in the kitchen, um, but she seems to know where everything is. So I suppose as long as you know where everything is, it doesn't really matter how you how you do it. How many books do you have on the go? Usually, I don't mean I don't mean writing. I mean yeah. you know reading. Reading out of your bed. Oh God! I normally in any time I have two or three books in the go at once. Um, uh, I, I I really love reading, and I, I I like reading, especially when I'm writing as well. You know that, that that's good inspiration for me. It's it's fuel in the tank. So, uh, yeah, normally two or three. Steve, thank you very much indeed for coming in and spending uh, some time with us. Kill for me, kill for you, Steve Kavanagh's latest. It's out now, published by a headline. We'll be back next week with international bestseller Sebastian Folks. Yes, that's Sebastian Folks. Hope you can join us then. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.